Pray with me, Father in heaven. Amazing it is that we have this which is breathed out by you thus, trustworthy thus, powerful to shape, to change our lives. And so, Father, now I pray that you would be with us as we think upon this, upon this word, speak to us in a way that not only informs, but God, in a way that blesses, that brings life, that shapes us, that transforms us. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians in chapter 3, I want to read verses 16 through 18, these last three verses in this letter. This is the word of God. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. It is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, this obviously is the end of this letter. It really is the end of both of them. It's, in one sense, there isn't really anything extraordinary about it in terms of his style, what he says at the end of a letter. He often ends this way, something about peace, something about presence of Christ, something about grace. He begins his letter... Uh, Grace and peace ends as letter peace and grace. It happens. It's a common beginning and ending to letters, but in these letters and in the faith of Christ, it's more than a high and by. There's something significant, something powerful in these particular words. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. We should miss the fact that this is more than a wish of Paul's, it's more than a desire for him to have peace from Christ, to know the presence of Christ, to receive the grace of Christ. But, but, but it's a benediction, that is to say, it's something that's pronounced, it's something that's declared, it's something that's put upon them, really, and it comes from God. We know this benediction means good word, a blessing really, that's what a blessing is, a blessing is to, to, to speak that which is good upon another, that's a blessing, when you bless another, that's what you do, you speak a word of affirmation, a word of encouragement, a word that's, that's good upon them, this blessing, this benediction is from God, Paul writes the word of God, that's the verse 17, really, this is mine, I'm writing, Paul would know that they would see his word as the word of God, that's how they had received it in the past, that's how they would receive it now, that's what it was, it, would, it was God breathed, so when this word of blessing is pronounced, it's as if God himself is pronouncing this blessing upon them, the very peace of Christ, the very presence of Christ, the very grace of Christ. We know, and I say this because you know that I love benedictions and I, I, I speak about them from time to time because it's amazing to me that God 
would pronounce his blessing upon me. That he would pronounce his blessing upon us. Think of it. Now, these blessings had their origins in the Old Testament as we know. And we see it laid out first in Numbers and chapter 6. Listen, you know this, but listen. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. They were the priests in Israel. Speak to Aaron and his sons. Thus, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the blessing, the blessing, the benediction, the good word of God is to speak upon his people peace. Right? So there's a sense in which all of this could be taken. If God would speak it, it would be like the, 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 the thunder in the sky to say peace upon you. But look at this, verse 27. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see, this is the way, these blessings, this benediction, this is the way that God puts his name, you might remember, that Gideon said of God, his name is peace, that he puts his name upon us. Now, in a covenant, that is a relationship between two, most especially a relationship where one is the greater and the other is the lesser, where one is the ruler and the other is the one, the subject, if you will. It was quite common, even among people, that the lesser would take the name of the greater, that the greater would give his name to the lesser. So if you were in covenant with a great king, you took the name of the great king. And what that would mean is that great king would provide for you, <coughs> excuse me, and protect you, would direct you, and would guide you. And everyone else who knew that your name was the name of the great king would respect you and would fear you. And wouldn't come against you. Thus you would know that taking the name of the great king would be your peace. Your security. Your contentment. Your comfort. Your satisfaction. That everything was bound up in the name of the one that you carried upon you. Just as an aside. In marriage. This is why. The head of the covenant in marriage, the husband, gives his name to his wife and his children. His name is to be their protection, their peace, if you will. That's why when I uh, officiate a wedding and I always pray, I pray this May, her, may his strength be her protection. May his character be her boast and her pride. And may he live in such a way that she may find in him the haven 
for which the heart of a woman truly longs. May his soul be so wide a sea that she may launch her all on its strong tide. Wow. See, that's what it means to take the name of someone. That you have as much peace as the strength and the character of the one whose name that is. Right? So think of it, benediction. Whose name are we receiving in benediction? The very name of God. And he says, peace. So the benediction, the Lord will bless you. That is, his favor would be upon you. That's the sense of blessing. The blessing is that his favor, his grace, his favor would be upon you. He, he speaks well of us. Is, is that just phenomenal? To think that the very God of the universe, I don't know how often you think about this, but you should. I don't know how often I think about it, but I should think of it more. That God is always speaking well of us. Is that amazing or what? To bless us and to keep us. That is, to protect, to provide, to guide, to direct us. Right? Now, there should be peace in knowing that God speaks well of us. That should be our peace, you see. That he's the one who keeps us. That should bring peace to us. To know that in all the hostility of the world, from without and from within... That God is the one who sees it as his job, if you will, his role, his place, even as the sovereign one, to keep us. Not, we don't keep ourselves, we fall. He keeps us. To bless you, to keep you. That he would make his face to shine upon us. His face is his presence. When you take, when you want to see a picture of someone, it's unlikely that it'll be a picture of their knees. It will be a picture of their face. To see their, this is so and so, this is this person, you see. It's their face that we see. So when his face is shining upon us, it means that he's looking favorably to us. Theologians put it like this. That God looks at us with a benevolent intent. Right? Sometimes big words are helpful. He looks at us with a benevolent intent. That is, his intent is to do good to us. His face shines. Think of it. I don't know how you think of the face of God. But the benediction is that his face shines upon us. That his face would shine upon us. And that he would be gracious to us. Because you think, why is it that God's face would shine upon me? I don't deserve it. And the benediction says, yes, of course you don't deserve it. When his face shines upon you, it's his grace upon you. And he's gracious to you because you're his. That's the name you wear. The very grace of God upon you, you see. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And what does that mean? Well, countenance, his face again. His face, may he lift it up upon you. That is to say, this one whose face shines upon you, that looks upon you with benevolent intent, may, his, may he lift up his, may he be aware of you. 
He's always aware of you. His face, his countenance, is always lifted towards you. He knows you all the time. He's watching all the time. He's aware all the time of what's happening in the context of your life. He knows the will that he's laid out for your life. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what he's ordained for your life. He knows what's going on. And so he says, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That is to say, that when he looks upon you, what he's bringing to you is security. What he's bringing to you is contentment. What he's bringing to you is satisfaction. And how can we have that? We can only have that if we really do believe we have the name of God upon us. If we really do believe that his countenance is lifted upon us. And we really do believe that when he looks upon us, it's because of his grace. And when he looks upon us, it's with a good intent in our lives. And when we know that, no matter what else is happening outside of us, no matter what's happening on the inside of us, we can say, oh yes, peace. You see, there's something wonderful and powerful in benediction. You know how it is that when another person blesses you, how that can shape your life. Sometimes people can manipulate us by blessing us. If you knew B.F. Skinner of a previous generation who was a behavioralist, he said... All we need to do really is to provide much positive reinforcement in people's lives and you can shape their behavior. And the reason he said that was because there's truth in that. We can manipulate people by that. We've all been shaped by what people have blessed us with. And so if the words of a human being are powerful like that, Can you only imagine the blessing of God? Can you only imagine when we get to a place when we can actually hear the blessing of God? And you see, when then the blessing of God drowns out all the other things, when the blessing of God drowns out all the other things people say, when the blessing of God drowns out all the things that happen in life, when the blessing of God resounds in us, when we realize that this is his name upon us, then there's there's peace. Because, you know, when we speak of peace, we're, we're speaking of peace, as he says, in all times, in all places, in every situation. How, how can we really have that if we're thoughtful people? I mean, you see, there's something deep Something deep within the human inclinations, the human heart. Something deep that desires this peace, this, as the Hebrews called it, shalom. This deep peace. This sense, really, of well-being. That it is, in fact, well, not only with my soul, but well with my body, and well with my world, and well with everything. And, and, and when we think of it, you know, we, we do want this, this peace physically. We don't want disease or disability, do we? We want peace physically in our bodies. We don't want death. We want peace in our minds, in our hearts. We want peace economically, we want peace socially in relationship with people, we want peace politically in relationship with other nations, and we want, we want 
peace environmentally. We don't want these mudslides and hurricanes and all of that, right? We want peace and all of that. We, we, we want all that that's against us, that takes our well-being from us. We, we would like all that to not matter, to not be there, to not affect us. And yet as thoughtful people, as we look at the world around us and we look at other people's lives and we look at our lives and we study history, how can really we have any peace? How can we have any peace physically? I mean, every winter, what do you hear all day long? Get your flu shot. Or the flu is happening or this disease or somebody has this or somebody has that, right? And, and uh, you, you know, you might feel good today, but you know tomorrow you're probably not going to be. And that's just a little bit of it. We know, you see, at every age, no one's immune to difficulties. Karen and I always say to each other that we have this sort of love-hate relationship with Children's Mercy Hospital. Now, on the one hand, we love it because it's a great hospital. And it takes care of children and their families so well. So we love it. But yet every time we go, we know why we're there. And we see the vulnerability of even the youngest and most defenseless ones among us. So, how can there really be peace? Right? How can there be peace in, in the lives of, of young families as they worry and about their own health and the health of their children? And then again, as we age, those worries just seem to change and compound between various cancers and dementias and all other things that can play in the lives of people ultimately, of course. Death at any one of those places. So physically, how can there be, be real peace, mind and heart? I mean, really, let's think of it. Uh, we're all skilled at the what-ifs of life. We all think those things through. We've all been trained so well to think of causes and effects and beginnings and ends and all of that so we can think at any one moment in time and in any sphere of life, what if? And, and we know that sometimes the worst of the what ifs actually happen. We see it historically. We see it in people's lives. The what ifs, you see. And we want peace in our marriages, yet we know the difficulties. We want peace in our families, yet we, we want peace politically, right? But we have terrorist warnings all the time. Don't you love, don't you find it interesting watching a movie that was made before 9-11 and, and see airport scenes where people just walk up to the airport and get on their planes? <laughs> And now, that's so long ago, it seems, that we even forget about the fact that every time we walk into an airport, what's shouting to us is there is no peace. This is the best we can do. We can make you walk through this machine that buzzes if you have any metal on you. It's the safest you can be. Everything is a really peace when one country can annex another by force in this day. 
is there really any peace socially when things change so rapidly, when our customs and traditions and mores and all of that seem to change? It appears overnight and we wonder, can, can there really be any peace socially? Can there be peace relationally? Uh, you know, you, 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 can do, you can play the game. You, you know what it is. Can there be peace environmentally? When, when houses get slid off the mountain because of mud, I mean, really, can there be any real peace? Now you see, when, when Paul writes to this particular church in Thessalonica, th- he's not writing this benediction abstractly. This is to, this is to apply directly to their lives because they would, they would feel this, I trust and, and receive it because, because there wasn't peace in some real sense in the church in Thessalonica. They were being persecuted. And so how is it that Paul's going to say to them, peace? You carry the name of God upon you. He blesses you. He keeps you. He's the one who makes his face to shine upon you. He's the one who's gracious to you. He's the one who's watching you all the time. He's lifted up his countenance upon you. Peace to you. And they said, but wait a minute. If there's such peace, why are these people shooting at us? Right? Imprisoning us. And why are we losing our jobs? And all that sort of thing. Peace. And, and there isn't even peace in the church because there's false teaching that's going on concerning the second coming of Jesus. And then there is these busybodies, these idlers, these disruptors that are in the midst of the church too. And so, so at the very end, Paul says, I've taught you about this, but, but now peace. Was the persecution going to stop? But well, we don't have any anticipation that that was going to happen. False teaching, as we know, has continued in the church. And there are those, always, who are disruptors in the midst of it. How can we know peace? Well, notice how he puts it. He says, now, given all that I've said, he says, now, may the Lord of peace himself. Now he says, the Lord of peace, he's referring to Jesus. When Paul uses this expression, Lord, it's almost always in reference to Jesus. Now, Paul, on other occasions, just simply speaks of the God of peace. Because we can think of the Father as, as the one who is Peace who makes peace in Jesus. We can, we can think of the Holy Spirit who, who brings peace by way of the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. But he speaks of Jesus here, and he refers to him as the Lord of peace, which means he's the master over peace, which means he owns peace, which means he makes peace, which means he is Peace, which means he's sovereign over peace, which means he's the one who has the authority to grant, to give peace. He's the Lord of it. And then he says, may the Lord of peace himself. This is personal. This is personal. This is Jesus the risen one, the ascended one, this is Jesus himself giving peace to his church and to each one in it. When we think of this blessing, must think of Jesus speaking your name. You must think of Jesus Active, knowing everything about everything and having power over everything. 
coming directly by his spirit, through his word, directly to you. Jesus himself. This isn't abstract. This isn't impersonal. This isn't just some force in the sky. This is Jesus, the very Jesus who was God with us, the very Jesus who walked the earth, the very Jesus who died, the very Jesus who ascended, the very Jesus who rules and reigns, that Jesus. That's why, of course, Paul says, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. That is to say, he's that close. He's with us. He's that close. Communion, we know. We'll be there in a minute. At communion, we know that part of what we're, what we're, what we're taking in here is the realization that Jesus, the real Jesus, is as close to us as this bread and juice is. That when we feel it, he's that close. When we smell it, he's that close. When, when we eat it, he's that close, you see. He, Jesus, we can't see him, he's that real, that close. And realize then, he, Jesus, that very one, is speaking your name in heaven favorably. He's saying, he's mine. She's my. Don't talk to him that way. Don't talk about him like that. He's mine. I've forgiven him. He belongs to me. He's mine. And he intercedes. And as long as he lives, he lives to intercede. And as long as he intercedes, he's defending us in heaven. Seeing all, knowing all, over all. He really is, you see. Jesus himself, this very one, who when he looked upon people, saw them like sheep without a shepherd, harassed, torn. And when he saw us that way, very personally, he came and got us and spoke our name. That we would be his, this Jesus, this very Jesus. When he saw the leper, could not help but touch him. This very Jesus, when he saw the ostracized woman at the well, gave her living water. This very Jesus, who when he saw the man with no eyes, gave him sight. This very Jesus, when he, when he knew of his friend Lazarus dead, he gave him life. This very Jesus who came and died for us and rose and now lives. That Jesus is the one himself. Who gives us peace, you see. He's the Lord of it because he's present with us. Now, the psalmist always had an interesting question. You can read of this in Psalm 3 and 4. But the psalmist had interesting questions. And one of the questions that the psalmist often asks is, How can I sleep? I don't know if you've ever asked that. How can I sleep? And his point was this. How can I sleep when my enemies are coming against me? <laughs> right? And, and, and you know this, when there are difficulties in life, whether it's from the inside or from the outside, it's hard to sleep. And especially if you know there are physical enemies who are round about you. He's, how can I sleep? And the answer that he gives is, I can sleep because I trust. I can sleep because I trust. 
I shared before one of my great uh, the inspiring stories in all of the Bible is that of Jehoshaphat. And, and then one of the greatest phrases, at least for me, in all that passage, you might remember Jehoshaphat was king and there were, there were enemies at every corner and, and he was stuck with women and children, if you will. He didn't have his armies with him and he knew that they were going to overtake him and so he prayed to God and, 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 the, and the prophet it came to him and said, uh, now Jehoshaphat, uh, this isn't your battle, it's God's, trust him. And, uh, and when hearing that, the next expression is, when they rose the next morning, and the reason I like that is because it meant he slept. He slept with all of his enemies around him. That is peace. And we can sleep to rest, we can be at peace when we know that the Lord is our shepherd and therefore we shall not want. We can sleep when we know that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. When he leads us, we know only in right paths when he leads us. When he does it for his name's sake. And even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we needn't fear. Why? Because he's with us. His rod, his staff. They deal with everything around us. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup can overflow. He even gives us a meal in the presence of our enemies. And we know that his love and mercy... Pursue us, hunt us down, capture us. They're with us all the time. That is the very grace of God to us. And now we know that deeply embedded us is this desire for peace, deeply embedded in God and his promises to us is peace. The blessing, peace for his people. The promise of peace, you remember, through this one who had come. For unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the rule of his government and peace, there will be no end. What did the angels say about the birth of Jesus? This is the one who is going to bring peace. What did Jesus say to his disciples? My peace. I give you not as the world gives. You see, the world gives peace. We position ourselves in all kinds of ways to make life as secure as possible. But if we're honest, no matter what we have, materially, physically, socially, politically, environmentally, no matter what we have, we know, we all know, It really can be gone tomorrow. We really know that. Now, we don't always like to face that. We don't like to think about that. We'd like to be secure in our stuff and secure in our relationships and secure politically and all of that. And then it's fine to secure ourselves in various ways and so forth and so on. But we know there is no peace in any of that. There just isn't. There's peace only when we know that we belong to God. How do we know that? That's really the question, isn't it? How do we know that? 
Well, we know it because Jesus has come to make peace. You see, the real problem, the real insecurity, the real discontentment, the real dissatisfaction, the real fear in life, and we can trace all of them back really to the one fear, which is, I'm vulnerable, I'm weak, and maybe there's something to this guilt. And so you see, the real issue is, do we belong to God and do we know it? And so you see, Jesus came. And he came, as we know, by his life and death to make peace between human beings and God. In such a way that, trusting him, we would be reconciled to God Being reconciled to God, we would know that we belong to him. Knowing that we belong to him, knowing that his name is upon us, that we have his benediction and his blessing. Peace. Remember the Apostle Paul, he said, listen, don't be anxious about anything. But pray about everything. And by your prayers and supplication with thanksgiving, the peace of God, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and minds. And you see that praying is good because it focuses our attention upon God, upon who he is. It focuses our attention upon upon us, that we belong to God in the midst of that. And we say, God knows of all of this, thus I can have peace. But it's not only that. Paul says, in response to your praying, Christ will guard your heart and mind. He will do something. He'll be active in your life in a particular way to guard your heart and mind that you might know you're his, be convinced that you're his, that his blessing is upon you so that you may have peace. He'll do something. He'll do something in response to your prayer that you would have peace. And he does that because he's the peacemaker. On the night that he was betrayed, the scripture tells us, our Lord Jesus took bread after giving thanks, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, the apostle tells us, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're proclaiming is that there is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace With God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say this. That we will glory. Even in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that God is at work. We know that God is at work. That these sufferings aren't random. That these difficulties aren't random. That they just don't sort of come to us. But that God. Who has lifted up his countenance upon us. God who sees all, God who knows all, God who 
looks at us with a benevolent intent. It's sovereign over our sufferings and the difficulties of life. And thus we can glory in them because we have peace. Let's pray, Father. Your blessing we know is what we need to receive this benediction, to embrace it, to take your name upon us, to believe, to know that we belong to you, to know, Lord Jesus, that you really do intercede for us. That you speak well of us. That you yourself are present with us. That you who are sovereign over all. Who regulates everything. That you do that in such a way. That we can trust. Because we belong to you. So grant to us I pray that deep assurance. And we belong to you, that it's personal, that you yourself are with us, that you yourself give us peace. Thus, God, I pray that you would take this bread and this juice and set it apart in such a way that we would know that we're in the very presence of Jesus, that he is this close to us. Though we can't see him, we know him and we believe in him. Convince us, God, that Jesus is this close to us, that he himself knows us, that we belong to you through him. Thus, we have peace. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that this is the table of the Lord, not the table of our church. And so the Lord invites to it all those who, through Jesus, live at peace with God. Thus you know yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. You see that in him. And all those then that receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. You see that. You know that. You believe that. It's true. And all those then who have the very blessing of God upon them. You know this. You believe it. You have his name upon you. Peace. If that be true for you, I invite you to come. These two sections can come down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. As you do, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and hear God's blessing. Peace. Please come.